the ASCO Leaders Reading Podcast with Jeff Barton. I'm Rachel Johnson. I'm the CEO of Pixel. And Rachel, in case there's anyone on the planet who doesn't know what Pixel is, what it stands for, what you do, just give us a flavour of your work. So we basically are a school network. We work with two and a half thousand schools across the country in every sector of education. And we are about improving outcomes and improving life chances. Essentially, that is what we do by supporting school leaders. And Pixel's been around for a number of years, hasn't it? Just just tell us some of the things uh, on behalf of the people who you work with, you've been able to do. Yeah, it came out of the London Challenge originally through Sir John Rowling. He was my father. He founded it um, because there was a need, I think, for that network and that sharing of good practice. So uh, he did that. And we've done all kinds of things. We've launched things around character, around improving outcomes. But it's a supportive network, basically, to help and support school leaders who often feel quite on their own. Um, But to look at the evidence, the research, and then the practical resource, it's like the whole thing. So we're not leaving people on their own with the evidence, but then having to find their own time to provide all these resources. We kind of do everything as much as we can for people so yeah yeah well you've got lots of middle leaders senior leaders we've got lots of middle leaders senior leaders all of them doing their best on behalf of their communities now you and I both have an interest in your father had an interest in as well reading and we we use this mantra from Harry Truman uh, not all readers are leaders but all leaders are readers and it would just be nice to kind of explore that because Mm -hmm. you do a number of things at Pixel including your Pixel Pearls which very often reference um, texts that you've read but you also have conversations with people about books we do the same at the Barton Bookshelf so let's talk a little bit about do we think that's true that not all readers are leaders but all leaders are readers and if so what is it that leaders get from reading what do you particularly get from reading stuff so we start with the why I suppose yeah I think there's so much that I get as a person and I think you can't separate who you are as a person to who you are as a leader so for me reading is, is a safe space for me to explore myself where you know I'm not in the public eye that way so I think when it comes to leadership approaches and who I want to be and how I want to change I always turn to books for that and so I think the reason that's important that, that leaders are readers is because it, it, it signifies a willingness to change and to think outside of your own perspective and to be open to other views. And I think all leaders need to be that. Um, and all leaders need to be open to change. And if you haven't got someone or something to help you with that, then change, I don't think, can really happen. So for me, that's why reading is so crucial if you're going to be a leader. I, I totally agree with that because we're, we're, we're locked in what is a pretty fragmented system. And the system system is predicated too often on if your school does better my school has to do worse and what that can mean is that looking beyond the silo that you are existing in can be quite difficult now one of the things that inky words on a page or a screen can do is to get us looking at other people's words uh, and other people's worlds and other people's ideas now you're a bit more of a non-fiction reader than a fiction reader What, what kind of stuff do you read I read, depending on what I'm going through, will depend on what I'm reading. And I'll often have three or four books on the go at the same time. I'm not sure what you do. I'd love to know what you do with books. So we'll talk about that maybe. But um, so when I go through personal crises, so for example, you know, when my, my parents became ill, I turned to Catherine Mannix's work, Dr. Catherine Mannix, about how you prepare for people dying, which sounds really grim. But for me, because books unlock knowledge, and knowledge means that I'm more aware of what I'm doing, and therefore I can make better decisions, which means I can serve people better and know myself better. That's an investment that I'm willing to make. Let me just ask you about that because I've not heard of Dr. Oh, Catherine Mannix, is yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, so, how, how did how did you find out 
about her and what kind of books does she write? So she writes books basically on dying well, which sounds really grim, and it's a discussion point that no one ever discusses until it's too late. And that was what I realised when I was in that situation with my parents. So she's written two books. One is on tender conversations around how you can have the conversations that matter. You know, ideally, you don't want to have those in the last six weeks of someone's life. Um, and the other one is Ordinary Dying, where she goes through what ordinary dying looks like because contrary to belief it's not dramatic like it is on the films and in in soap operas and we are totally unequipped as a country to deal with ordinary dying and when I went through it with my dad I listened to her podcast I read her book I knew what I was experiencing I knew what was happening in front of me which meant I was in control I knew what I was doing I felt reassured I could I could spend my time caring in the way I needed to because I understood and I think had I not read that book I wouldn't have known I'd have been scared more scared than I was so for me like that kind of thing unlocked something in me that was massively helpful at a time that I needed it and then since reading um, all kinds of books on grief and how you process grief and I just think I want to know I want to be well equipped to handle my own emotions and not just kind of put my fingers in my ears and hope for the best now none of this is recommendation so we're not <laughs> we're not necessarily saying that p- people should read those books but what, what you're characterizing there is we're reading for a particular purpose at a point in our life when we want to understand things through another person's perspective I guess but you also read a lot of biography and autobiography. Now, what, what, what would the reason for that be? Because my, my guess is if you're reading the biography of, a, I, I don't know, a sports person, it's not because you're aspiring necessarily to be the greatest rugby player on the planet. So give, give us a flavour of why you would read that particular genre of non-fiction. Yeah, that's interesting too. So I read all kinds of autobiographies and biographies. I find it fascinating to get access all areas to someone who I've seen but I don't know anything about. And so for me, reading a book like Michelle Obama's Becoming is like having a chat with her. I'm brought into Michelle Obama's world and I can learn from that world. I can see things from a different point of view. I can challenge my own um, bias sometimes. And I think that helps, again, unlock my understanding, compassion and empathy for other people. And in the work that you and I do, you have to understand people, you have to be compassionate, you have to find empathy, and you have to widen your worldview beyond what you know. I don't know everyone's lived experience. I never will. But I want to try. Um, I want to try and be better equipped to handle other people's circumstances of which I know nothing and so for me again books is a safe way to do that um, and I think that's that's helpful I certainly find it helpful I'm not sure if you you do more fiction I guess than the non-fiction do you at the minute or are you I, I, I do a balance now partly I read probably more fiction than I would normally because I'm conscious that the Barton bookshelf two or three times a year needs to, I I just like to have this balance of five fiction of five non-fiction, I think I'm intuitively a non-fiction reader, partly I think because I can read it more more quickly, I think it is much easier to jump quickly through a non-fiction book with a narrative, you are wanting to keep abreast of that. But it's the, the, the same applies. I mean, I'm reading an extraordinary book by William Boyd that I'm loving at the moment about, uh, which is set in kind of 18th century Europe and moves across to India. I'm, I'm looking at bits of the world in periods I will never, by definition, yeah. experience. But it's the, sa- it's the same thing. And I travelled here on the tube just now, and what depresses me is I see posters for what's on at the theatre, frozen... Beauty and the Beast. And there's a sense that what we're doing is we're taking children to see stories they already know. Now, there's nothing wrong with that because they'll get the stagecraft of it. I went to see Matilda the other week. Fabulous. I knew the story. I knew the characters. I loved the stagecraft of it. But equally, reading things that we wouldn't otherwise, nudging ourselves into other people's worlds, that's what you're saying you do. And I guess the question is, without it being kind of mechanistic and utilitarian, do you think that's making you better in your leadership as a result? 
I think so. I, I think I think it has to. I don't think it can make it worse. So I think that's <laughs> I think that's a good point to start, isn't it? But I think it. I think when you expand your view and you see things from other people's points of view and you put your finger on on the burn of what you're trying to deal with, I think that is helpful. So like, the first thing I read just before I became CEO was A Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Now I needed that book. I didn't know how much I needed it until the week after my dad died and everyone's creeping around me, not wanting to ask me to meet my deadlines. And I was able to say to my whole staff, um, don't do that to me. I want you to give me challenge and care. I know you care, but you must still challenge. Don't give me ruinous empathy. Don't do anything else. Just say it as it is because I've got a job to do and I need to do it. Now, I wouldn't have had the language to explain that. I'd have just said something awful like, don't be sympathetic, which is not what I meant. Yeah. What I meant was, don't, don't be easy on me because and wait for things and then I'll talk about me behind my back because you don't know how to handle it. So I think reading gives you a language and a framework by which you can have a conversation, which is liberating, I find. Um, without that framework, sometimes I find myself struggling with the language, I think. Now, I, I pride myself on, on reading quite a lot. We're going to come to when, when do we read and how do we read in, in a second, because I think that's one of the big barriers to people saying, well, my life is so busy, I, I haven't got time to. Let's park that. But what you... But, what you have done to someone who reads a lot, right? You've immediately mentioned two books I've never heard of. How do, how do you find these books? I mean, the one you just mentioned, say it again to us and tell us how you came across that, The Radical Calendar. Ra- ra- radical Candor. Although she's changed it a now. A Radical Candor, OK. Yeah, but she's changed it to Compassionate Candor because someone's complained about the word radical. So, okay. again, interesting. But basically, what I do is I look for the latest releases um, because I've got this little obsession, which is ridiculous, and I shall confess it now, which is when a book comes out, I have to buy it instantly when it's come out um, and then I have to read it first it's like speed reading through a book because there's something in me that wants to be the first person to have read it um, which is absolutely ridiculous and means that I go through a lot of books but I just go into Google or any kind of search engine and just type you know books that will help me with feedback books that will help me with processing you know how to work best in teams high performing teams and then I see what comes up I look at what's been recommended and then I look often at how recently it's been published and then off I go. So you're not getting your recommendations from reading, you know, the kind of Observer Weekly books review or anything like that? It is through Google you're finding them? It's through Google or recommendation or things flash up sometimes. I think Twitter's quite good for that, where people say, I've read this, and I kind of think, oh, that's interesting. But because we do the Book Club podcast, I'm always looking for books that are from the world of business that I think have relevant lessons for education. And so I'm always reading with a purpose. I don't know if if you do that, but I'm reading to find something. It's like being a kind of excavator or an archaeologist. I know there's treasure somewhere in this book and I'm going to find it and underline it and write all over my book Um, because I'm looking for something. I'm not just reading it to pass the time. I'm on a mission. Yeah, you're, you're, you're like me. I mean, in my past, I used to write textbooks, and I always remember my uh, wife, who used to think that textbooks would largely mean cutting and pasting together other people's ideas. You know? <laughs> uh, and there was a sense that anthologies were that. But she, I remember seeing me, the neighbours had a skip, and I, was, I found an old copy of the Daily Mail in the skip, and I found, just found some great articles from a paper I would not publicly acknowledge necessarily reading uh, a, a lot. That jackdaw approach is, I think, something we've got in common, and probably the English teacher in us, where we underline, or in my case, I make notes at the back of the book, referencing pages, I then type up these things. So when I use endless quotes, and people think, oh, how does he remember those quotes? Basically, I've typed the quotes out, I then can Google, uh, not Google them, I can search them on my computer and find these quotes. So there is something, 
it's a utility that gives me these things, which probably make me seem far cleverer than I am. But I love that frame of reference, yeah. things I've read in a whole range of different places. Mm. So would that mean that you would read, you know how you get kind of edu- lots of educational books, you can't move for education books at the moment. You mentioned business, reading yeah. business books. Do you not therefore read a lot of pure education things? Well, what is interesting about this controversial thing going to come up, maybe, is that when I've read educational books, nearly all of the really best ones take the ideas from the business books anyway. So, you know, you read a book about checklists in education, it's taken it from um, Atul Gawande's Checklist Manifesto. You talk about getting the right people on the bus, it's from Jim Collins' Good to Great. You talk about motivation, autonomy, purpose, it comes from Daniel Pink's Drive. And if you read enough, you realise the same ideas are circulating in the world, and then they're just being repackaged. So part of what I try and do is read as widely as possible and then repackage them for leaders who haven't got the time to read but essentially I'd rather go to the original source wherever possible and then come up with a package myself rather than read other people's cannibalisation of ideas that I'd rather read in its original form. Um, Now that might be controversial. Um, I do read educational books because I think I have to in this job but it's not, it wouldn't be my go-to. I'd go, I'd go to those books first. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same. I get sent a, a lot. I, I, I read them, and if I think they're good, I'll, I'll, I'll give them a kind of testimonial. But I try to deliberately avoid putting them into my book list, partly because those are designed for people to read over Christmas, Easter, summer holidays. And frankly, I want people to read things that they wouldn't otherwise read. Now, there is a, an academic called, I think he's called Thomas Malkirk, and what he says is one of the problems for children and literacy is they hear people like you and people like me who are evangelical about books... And basically, if you're not part of the club, Mm. then you will end up feeling more alienated from reading. And there will be people listening to this who will think, blimey, where did they find the time? So let's let's finish just by talking about how you read, when you read. What's the... What's the process whereby you find the time for that? And I hear what you're saying about you're on a kind of mission against yourself to read the book as quickly as possible. Where where do you find the time for all of this? Uh, So a lot in the mornings. Um, I'm one of these people who likes getting up at five o'clock. It means I have two straight hours without my kids bothering me because they're asleep. So I always spend my morning in the first 15 minutes reading. I always read in the evening before bed. So it's morning and evening for me. And in the day if I'm doing something with it, because of course you're referencing it in your own work, aren't you? Um, But I live by what I call my three B's. If I have these three B's, um, I will be happy and fulfilled. And they are basically bath, book and bed. Um, If I can manage a day with two out of three, if I miss all three, I feel... I can feel it because for me it's escapism it's getting out of my own head it's um, hearing other people's viewpoints it's refreshing for me and so it's not it's not just a routine it's a necessity for me I, I need to do it um, and if I go for long periods of time without doing it I feel worse off I don't feel the best version of myself and the, I think the only disappointment for me, I was hoping I would be one of the three Obviously. Bs, Bart <laughs> would, would feature. Uh, but, the, but there we are. I, I'm, I'm the same on that. Now, I think that point, which I'm going to spell out slightly, slightly differently, is that reading is a habit. Yeah. Like having a bath is a... Is a, is a well, <laughs> hopefully is a habit. Um, and I'm the same. I could easily, as a news junkie, get up at whenever I get up, 6.30, and simply watch different channels of news all the time. And what I deliberately make myself do in the morning is to say, right, I'm going to have 30 minutes or 45 minutes when I'm just going to read something. And actually, there's something for me very liberating about the fact that I've switched off devices, I'm ignoring all of those, and I'm immersing myself in these inky words on a page. And I think that notion of building time in to be able to do that, I think, just just like people would to go on a rowing machine or go to the gym... 
I think it's the same kind of idea of building it into your daily routines. I, I completely agree. And the same with kids. You want kids to experience it. Um, someone the other day, uh, was I was doing my coaching, and one of the coaching questions was, what books did you read as a kid? And when you look at your own life now, are the stories that you read replicated in your life now? Now, the three books that I loved and obsessively read as a kid were Anne of Green Gables, Little Women, and Pride and Prejudice. So you've got Eliza Bennett and Shirley and Joe, Joe March. And actually, when I look at the person I've become, I'm like, oh, I can see areas of my life that are like those three women, because that's how, that's how much it formed my upbringing and who I wanted to be. So it's got to be a habit, and it's really important it is, but what reading can do is transformational. Um, the other piece of research that I think is fascinating is young people should always meet a challenge in a book first before real life. So um, that's how they explore their emotions, explore relationships, explore identity. It's like safe. It's a safe space to explore it. And that's why I think it's important to have habits, not just for adults, but for children as well. It's, it's so crucial. Yes, I remember when... Do you remember the early days of Harry Potter and Stephen Fry was asked to do the reading and he does the readings of those quite, quite brilliantly, the way he does it. I remember an interviewer saying to him particularly when you get to book four with Harry Potter, when you get a, a death in it, and it of, of Cedric, um, whatever his name is, um, it turns very, very dark. And an interviewer says, surely this isn't the kind of thing that young people should be reading. And he said, literature is an is, uh, inoculation for life. And it's, it's your point, isn't it? Oh, it prepares so you for what you might encounter. Let's finish just by saying you, you mentioned those three fiction texts which have helped to define who you are. If you would off the cuff thinking now of a non-fiction text for those people who haven't got this as a habit and you're saying why don't you try this it had a big effect on me what what immediately springs to mind as a recommendation I think Radical Candor would, would be the one that I'd start with because it helps you give feedback and take feedback without being defensive and difficult and therefore you learn. So I, I would think that is really important. I think some of the classics now, they are educational classics like Good to Great by Jim Collins, I think although some of it is quite hard to get through, the practical things in there are absolutely brilliant. And I think one of the things with books is you work out what needs you have, what, what you're trying to find out and then it's like you're kind of date matched with a book. That's how it works for me. So people often email me going I'm really struggling with self-esteem what should I read I'm like Brenny Brown dare to lead so I think it's it's almost like books as a prescription for whatever it is that you're trying to to solve that's how I've used them uh, and so I think it depends on what your issue is would depend on what book I recommended but I think Radical Candor is one for all and I think all people in education should read it because I think it's that crucial. Rachel Johnson CEO of Pixel so nice to talk about something so important to both of us and uh, to listen to you speaking with such passion thank you thank you love to see you the ask all leaders reading podcast with jeff barton